Triple B's, I'm the man. I'm leveled up, I'm Super Sam. You said I can't, but I can't. Triple B's got the plan. Triple B's, I'm the man. I'm leveled up, I'm Super Sam. You said I can't, but I can't. Triple B's got the plan. And welcome back to Cautiously Optimistic. This is episode 40, and joining us today, we have another special guest. This is Harrison Fagan of Lakers Nation, formerly of Silver Screen Roll uh, SB Nation, but now he's with Lakers Nation, very embedded with the Lakers, knows a lot about the Lakers, and that's good for our podcast because we do a lot of Lakers talk as well. Absolutely. So we thought what better person to bring on to our podcast than Harrison. Welcome to Cautiously Optimistic. Thank you for having me on, guys. I listened to the episode with Mirren last week, and so when you reached out, I was excited to get the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, as Nick said, we're all a big Lakers fan, but what initially drew, like was a draw like to be a Lakers fan? You know, obviously growing up around here has got to have a big part of it, but yeah. you can pick the Clippers if you are yeah, If you're terrible. You know. uh, yeah, I guess like if you hate, especially at the age that I was growing yeah, up, like exactly. you had to hate yourself a oh, little yeah. bit, I think, to be a Clippers fan, or just be like a relentless contrarian. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, the draw of the Lakers. Well, I start. I became a Lakers fan in like 2001. I think the moment, like the, yeah. my first memory of the team, like that really is like crystallized for me. I'd watch them a little bit on and off before then, but when I realized I was like a diehard basketball fan, was the Robert Ory buzzer beater against the Kings. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember I've told this story a couple times on other mediums, but my brothers and I we were watching that game at a hotel room in Palm Springs, and uh, Ory hits that shot, and all of us just. Immediately Immediately, like took our. I have three younger brothers, yeah. and we all just like took our shirts off, started running <laughs> around like the outside area of this hotel. Okay, I need like, to stop you right there because what hotel were you at? It was I, an MC Suites. I was watching the Ori game in a Palm Springs hotel as well. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's so random. So, that's so random. Was it the MC Suites in Palm um, Springs? No, it was. Do you remember shirtless children was it the running the past the room? <laughs> right. It was the Is one. It the spot that you guys always used to stay. Row, like rowboats, they go around, and there's it's like a big pool. There's like two giant. I don't know what it was called. Who but knows? That's wild. That, that is, is wild. so weird. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is really weird. Wow. Um, but actually, that's funny you say that. That was around the same time that I became interested in the Lakers, and I knew about them a little bit. You know. Kobe and Shaq, but that's that yeah. middle of that three feet is when I started like became a true basketball fan. Yeah. So I mean, like it's a very like our very like childhood. It's like what you can only pull for AC Green and Nick Van Exel for so long, you know. And it's like as soon as those teams come around, Shaq and Kobe, it's just it was hard to not fall in love. Essentially, I feel like. And when we used to do, I mean, me and Nick, I mean, I've known him since fourth grade. So I mean, we knew each other when Out to Ori happened, and we <laughs> would just every day we immediately go out to the blacktop and just. Out to Ori, out to Ori, tip it out, do the whole play. We, I can't even tell you how many times we've done that. But that's funny because that's like one of the biggest moments in Laker history. For us, at least. Yeah, I mean, for I think for our generation, it kind of was like that was like like if you're a kid, you're of course gonna want to root for a good team, and yeah. so it just so happened that I jumped on the bandwagon of the local team. Like exactly. I don't know, I don't know if things would have turned out differently, and I would have been one of those bandwagon fans that everybody hates if the Lakers hadn't been good at the time. Yeah. But then after that, I was pretty much a diehard fan, uh, like all the way through high school, through my first couple years of college, and then like you know, as you start to get more ingrained, like covering the team, that mm -hmm. fandom dies a little bit. Like I'm definitely like. I, I'm not gonna say that I like I'm a totally objective journalist, yeah, but yeah. like for the most part, like I just cover the team. I, I feel like I could cover any team now. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah, like it started out like my basketball fandom was exclusively the Lakers. It was uh, that was really where it grew out from. And you know, just being a Lakers fan growing up, uh, and now you're obviously writing about the team. 
how did you get interested in the journal, journalism aspect of it and following the team in that way? So I actually took like a very circuitous route, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name, uh, that word <laughs> right, because <laughs> I our, our thing on my on our podcast is I pronounce words wrong all the time, and then my co-host has to tell me that I did that because I've only ever read the word before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I took like a very like uh, different route towards journalism, I think, than most do. I started out, I finished high school, and I was 100% positive I wanted to be a special education teacher. And so I was a psych major in college, I was doing that for a while, and then like a couple years years into community college I was dealing with some back pain and like pretty severe and it just like it lowered my motivation to go to school because I also like was starting to question my major I was hitting the point in the psych major where it's no longer like it's you're learning about like like interesting things about people's brains and it's like okay it's time to get into the stats of it and do the Mm -hmm. studies and I was like okay I'm interested in this but I'm not I don't like numbers and I'm not like that interested in this so (laughs) I was I was like questioning my major and I didn't feel that motivated to go to school so I just kind of dropped out for a while and I wasn't really I was just kind of trying to figure out what was wrong with my back and, you know, eventually like just to kind of like put myself back out there, I started to write, I wanted to get involved with Silver Screen and Roll because it was a site that I had uh, started reading right before the This Is Going To Be Fun Steve Nash Dwight Howard season and I just, I really appreciated like they just had a different voice than other sites had. It was like, it was the first time I'd ever read anything that was really willing to be critical of the team because most of the time I was just reading the beat writers and it's like objective stuff and so, or like you you read something like you read like fa- other fan blogs and it's like just really really positive about the team and silver yeah. screen roll was the first site that i encountered that seemed like it was willing to kind of hit them both ways like when they did well they would talk about it being well but then they would also kind of hammer them sometimes when yeah. they were bad and i fell in love with the site and i wanted to get involved and when they put out an ad to start putting together their daily aggregated links posts it was just like literally a list of like headlines and stuff mm-hmm. i was like okay i mean maybe this is something that i can do so yeah. i got involved with that and my first post was the day that dwight howard left so <laughs> i have literally like never covered a good lakers team yeah. and uh and so we've started to me and my co-host at locked on lakers have started to think that maybe i'm the problem and uh, <laughs> But anyway, so I started doing that, and then I wasn't really writing. It was just, like, rounding up links. But yeah. then uh, I, wa- I eventually I got to the point where I was starting to get back into school, and I was like, okay, like, I, ne- I want to get paid. And they kind of my, – my editor at the time, she was very nice about it, but she kind of laughed me off. She was like, we're not going to, like, pay you for that. But maybe if you write a little bit, eventually down the road we can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing originally just as, like, okay, I want to get some money. And uh, But then I started to really like it, and I started to write a lot, and I started to write more and more and more until the point where I was like writing, you know, I'd went from writing once a week to writing once a day and then a couple times a day. And then eventually I got to the point at Silver Screen and Roll last year where I was averaging about five posts a day. Yeah. And, um, it just like I really is. I mean, you guys all know writing can be a grind sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you feel like you don't have anything left in your brain to say. Yeah. But I just like I, I fell in love with it, and especially like since I started covering the team in person, I kind of fell in love with the journalism side of it and yeah. getting to go in and ask guys questions and kind of try and tell different. I, I try to approach the stories like a little bit differently than the traditional kind of beat writer who's there yeah. for like just game coverage. Whereas I try to find you know maybe a trend in the numbers that I want to ask the players about or something like that and so I've tried to approach it differently and I've just I've really enjoyed it yeah and, and that's I hope that that kind of answers just, your question just going back to like how you know you got into writing too I feel like a lot of people get uh, into the scene do kind of the different way that you did. I feel like you're talking about like trying to get money out of it 
um, which is, you know, no issue, but it's like, it's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to just yeah. like, start writing like that. And so I think that's a very interesting route. Most people, you know, like how I got into like in-depth sports writing, I was like, wow, okay, like there's a position here I can start writing. And then like, like you said, you just kind of fall in love with it, the dating, the grinding, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I just think that's just interesting to hear, like any, you know, for a young writer listening, that you can make that happen. Cause obviously you're an example of that, like, you know, starting to flourish and continue this thing. Cause now you've grown and, you know, you have readers daily, I'm sure. And you have a big following on Twitter and it, that's hard to do. So you've covered the team for a long time now, I feel like, but you're, yeah. you seem a fairly young guy here. How did you kind of like at a young age get, uh, the, you know, I guess the drive and then also just what you needed to be able to cover the team. Okay. So I think I was a little bit lucky in that I was naive enough to think that like getting paid for writing was something that happened on the yeah. internet <laughs> and yeah. because I was not like, I, I was not aware, like now I'm obviously much more aware of how prevalent it is for writers to just not get paid mm-hmm. at all and to just be told like, you should just value this platform. And it would be hypocritical for me to say that no one should do that and no one should try and take advantage of those platforms because that's how I got discovered. And that's how I've worked my way to where I am now. But I think that what, like, I I say young writers, and it almost sounds patronizing because I'm 26 and still in college. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think anybody trying to break into this, what they should know is that you have to write, like, a lot before you're going to get paid. It's not just going to be like, I come in and I write a game recap once a week and eventually they're gonna be like, oh, you're so talented, we wanna pay you. I mean, maybe there's like the top 1% of the 1% that can be that good right off the bat that you're going to get, but ultimately, you're probably gonna suck right off the bat. Like, I know I did. I I go back and I read my old stuff and I'm like, I don't know if I want this on the internet anymore. (laughs) Um, And, so you're not, and but if you write a lot, the at it you get more eyes on your stuff, and more people see you, and you get better just almost by accident because you're writing so much. Like your brain starts to find shortcuts, you start to see what your editors are changing. You should always ask for feedback. That's one thing that we're recording this right now at the school paper that I also work at, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I stress to people is like, ask me why I changed something, or come yeah. talk to me if you disagree with it. Like we should talk about this because that's the only way that you're going to get better. That's the only way that I'm going to. Re- realize that maybe I'm wrong and that I'm going to get better. And so you try to get that feedback from it. And then I guess the other thing that probably allowed me to have any level of success was I have a, like I have an anxiety disorder and I have OCD and the, when those two things are combined like it's not always the best cocktail for my own personal mental health but yeah. they drive me to work pretty hard because yeah, right. you get nervous that nobody's going to want to hire you or about your job prospects and you're obsessive enough to just want to sit down and kind of crank content yeah. and so I think it's just like a different mixture and that's definitely not something that I would recommend to everybody because yeah. you know that presents its own problems but I think that it just allowed me to really like be obsessive enough to kind of stick my nose to the grindstone and like start cranking out like five articles a day and the type of thing that gets you noticed by a Lakers nation and eventually leads to like uh to a job there which is how how you know I got my role there was they knew that I could produce a lot yeah awesome yeah I think that's certainly you know case in point just grinding it out it's always going to work out eventually like that sports world or whatever it may be Um, yeah you're going to talk about these Lakers now well I have one question first though I mean I'm a little jealous you know we're looking at your Twitter and there's a there's a blue check there that's that's something that I've it like showed up as a fluke one time and I took a picture of it immediately and I favorited it on my phone but like that wasn't real you know so what's it like to get that verified do you get more opportunities do you just stun on people like hey I'm you know you're going just into by. you're just walking by like no 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 don't worry I have a blue check it's okay <laughs> so 
I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I do. Uh, I do this. Yeah. yeah I, sometimes I do a little bit, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I will. I will mess with people at the paper and be like, "Oh, I didn't. Re- I mean, I guess you just didn't realize that you were talking to a verified journalist. Yeah. It's fine." <laughs> and so, but honestly, like, I try not to be too egotistical. I mean, I know the only reason that any that I have a verified check mark, and the only reason that anybody follows me is, uh, or at least that 90% of my yeah. followers follow me, is because of the Lakers stuff. And mm-hmm. so I try to never stray away from that, and like I try to keep in mind that like that's what people are following me for it's not necessarily for me even if maybe they like my writing or they like the voice that I approach it with if I took that voice and I took that style of writing and I started writing about the Clippers I probably would not be verified and I probably (laughs) would have like about 7,000 less Twitter followers yeah that's that's true I mean mean, nobody should follow anybody for the Clippers anyway so yeah Yeah, I agree yeah it's what you said you know in your own voice there's there's tons of people out there that try and cover the Lakers and and you certainly have made your own lane in that sense and um that's a big deal too. But uh, so I think to get to this year's Lakers, though, what do you think uh, just about the team in general? You know, what, four or fifteen games of the year so far. So what I think about the team is that I don't know anything about the team because I was expecting them to be just like pretty bad again, yeah. and they haven't been great. Like they're not going to win a title this year. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. But for them to be, I think as we're recording today, they're like fourth in defensive efficiency. They're so, they're somewhere in the top ten. Much much higher. And Which because, is been, because they started so terribly. Yeah, and like especially in the preseason, they yeah. were awful. And then they flipped the switch, and they've been amazing on defense, and then they've been horrible offensively, which is exactly the opposite mm-hmm. of what you know, quote unquote experts like myself thought that was <laughs> going to happen. And so I don't really, I don't know what to say about this team. Yeah. Like it's kind of incredible that they've had this much success without Lonzo Ball playing like it really very well at all offensively. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's given me more confidence for how good he can be. Because if he's making them, or if he's helping them be like this good, and he's shooting the ball horribly, like a, like literally the worst start of any player to shoot as many shots as he has in NBA history, either worst or second worst. Yeah, I was right looking there. at this the other day, but like in NBA history, worst or second worst, it doesn't matter. That's really bad. Yeah. And uh, so for him to be that bad offensively and just that anemic, and still be able to make a difference with his passing, be able to make a difference as a rookie with his defense, I think is kind of incredible and evidence that he's going to be like really really special because I, th- I mean the shot's going to come around yeah. I have confidence that the shot's going to come around because he shot like actually LeVar Ball was saying the other day like upwards of uh, like, uh, like high 40s in college from three which isn't true but he, <laughs> shot, he shot he shot low 40s from three in college yeah. and he was shooting deep threes a lot and so he has NBA range I think right now I don't know if it's like he's getting in his head that's what he said yeah. like it, it can't be easy to deal with kind of playing bad basketball for the first time in your life like ever this is the first time he's ever been widely criticized for playing basketball and then also he was going through the whole situation with his brother in China and that like I'm someone like like when I hear that my younger brother like has a concussion or something like that he got like playing sports like that affects like my day and so I can't imagine worrying about your little brother like potentially spending (laughs) 10 years in a foreign jail in jail internationally it's got to be tough we were actually talking about our last podcast uh, the idea of the Lakers or Magic specifically talking about Lonzo changing his shot, and I know Jesse, you were saying that it's tough to do during the season. Yeah, I'm not. Are you a supporter of changing it? During, at no, all? I, mean, I all. just I don't think you should do it in the season, but I'm super open to them doing it in the offseason. I think my stance on guys messing with their shot has always kind of been like that if you shot it one way for the first, like he's like 20 now, so like 20 years of his life, and you change it, like I think that you can kind of mess something up, and then even if you try to go back to the old way, like you have bad habits into it now, and like 
I don't know. I'm not a huge proponent of that. I think maybe two years in, if he's like yeah. still really, really struggling. I don't really feel like they should be changing the shot a whole lot, though, just because he had so much success at other levels with mm-hmm. it. But and it doesn't. His misses don't seem to be because of his shot it just seems like he's just missing and he he's not shooting that differently than he shot at ucla it's not like like i think the one fear that a lot of people had was that he would come into the nba and because his release is so low that against like the added length of nba defenders and closeouts like that that he wouldn't be able to get it off that he would start getting a shot blocked a lot but that's not really what's happening he's just missing and i don't really know what's to blame for that like i said but i'm not a huge proponent of change especially not during the season maybe during the offseason if it's something he's really really open to and he seems to like pick things up very quickly uh and like the lakers trainers can i guess be the judge of that like when they tell him to change something biomechanically how quickly he gets it how natural Mm -hmm. he can make those changes because like for some guys they're gonna if you tell them to do something differently once they're gonna be able to do it but for other guys it's like like for me i'm a horrible basketball player and so like (laughs) people would like coaches would work with me on my shot like i could change it any which way like but (laughs) i would all of a sudden it was going to start looking like a frankenstein's monster and so lonzo's obviously a far better athlete than I am but you I think the Lakers trainers are going to have to decide like how quickly he's picking up changes and how natural he can make them and that before deciding whether or not they're going to make changes to his shot and it is early too so I mean who knows how if it like like you said he's shot well at other levels so who knows if it's going to pick up my only concern is the when he's drive or when he's when he's dribbling right if he needs to pick up and take a shot he gives the defender time because of the fact that it comes back yeah. around and I mean, it's tough. It's it's one specific situation. I understand that, but at the NBA level, it's tough to just kind of give up a full shot. Yeah. But I think you know you did have a good point too. Just uh, talking about how a lot of people are talking about that his shot is getting blocked because he can't get it off, maybe a lower release point. But I think a lot of the time when people see clips of him after the game, they're purposely picking the ones where he does get blocked like that. So it's like you know, regardless if he does shoot fifteen times and it happens one time, you're almost always going to see that highlight. And it leads kind of to more of a misconception of people to think that he can't get that shot off. But I think you're totally right on that. If he's been successful at every level, you know, sure, there's an adjustment period, but he can certainly do it. Yeah, and then I think the other thing that actually uh, Pete Zayas of Laker Film Room pointed out in his breakdown of Lonzo's shooting struggles is that he's actually shot better on pull-ups than he has on, like, spot-ups, which is because I guess, like, it's something about the added moment. It looks like it's the added momentum of, like, he's actually forcing himself to stop and then go back against his motion. He's kicking his legs forward less and Mm -hmm. so it's actually leading to more success and so that's the kind of thing that like I'm not smart enough to just like watch a game and notice (laughs) but like once I see somebody that is smart enough to do that talking about it it kind of makes me think all right maybe the problem isn't necessarily like maybe they can just try to get him to maybe kick his legs out less or things like like there are smaller things that they could change rather than overhauling his entire release point and I, sense, I think yeah. something else that a lot of Laker fans and just NBA fans in general are forgetting is that the kid is only 20 and, you know, there's always going to be ups and downs. And sure, there are other rookies who may be having more success than him this year. But at the same time, he's a point guard, you know, kind of the saving face of the Lakers right now. And so there's going to be ups and downs. And obviously there's a lot of fanfare. And I know the time when that fanfare really began was in Summer League. And I know you went there to cover mm-hmm. the team. Um, what was that like just being around Lonzo and the atmosphere there? I was there more. I actually went to Vegas too, but more as a fan. I know you were there to cover the team. Uh, just what was that like? And because also that was the time we first saw Kuzma play, and he's also been a great addition to the Lakers, looking like possibly just up, right up there with Lonzo in terms of his early skill set. But I'm afraid to say it. Afraid yeah, to say you, better. You, you didn't want yeah. to say it. I you can didn't tell. want to say it. It's okay. <laughs> Don't be afraid. But uh, just talking about you know summer league and 
how it's uh, how it was like there in Vegas. So I've covered summer league the last three years, and uh, the first two years that I went, it was a zoo. Like Laker fan, like there is a special breed of Laker fan that goes out <laughs> yeah. to summer league, and it is at like that building was. I remember the first game where Larry Nance Jr. kind of broke out against the Sixers, and right. uh, there was a moment where he blocked Jaleel Okafor's shot so hard against the backboard that you could hear like the it almost sounded like the glass shattered like outside <laughs> like in the arena, and there were just layer like. Larry chants yeah. like booming throughout <laughs> Vegas and like yeah, Larry had a good line after the game that he was afraid that like he broke his own hand because he blocked <laughs> it so hard and that was like the first exposure to Larry Nance Jr. the really good interview yeah. uh, but then so it, it was it was really just for lack of a better term because you know it's not like I'm a writer and I should be able to come up with good terms it was very lit the first two years <laughs> um, and but last year was just a whole different animal it was like it was the first sellouts like basically in Vegas summer league history the arena was like Shaking every single time Lonzo played, people were out there with like Lavar, so like Lavar Ball, like fat head signs, like custom. I don't think you can buy an actual Lavar no, Ball fat no. head, so that had to be custom made. Yeah. yeah, and they had like like there was big baller, like the big baller fans are like a different breed even than like Lakers, some normal Lakers summer league fans, which are is already like crazy yeah. and dedicated and awesome. And uh, it was just like a really, I mean, you were there, so you felt it. Like it was just a crazy yeah. atmosphere for games that like literally do not matter at all. Yeah. Other it, was than, first, it was my first experience going to summer league, and I was I was you reading, picked a good year. I was reading, yeah. you know, is it always like this? You know, it's like this yeah, seems like it's like it was a slight. The, the first two years, it was a slightly toned back version yeah. of that. But yeah, it's it's not always like that, and I don't think it always will be. Like I think Alonzo, I highly doubt he's going to play in summer league. His second year, yeah. if he does, yeah. he'll do the Ingram special where he plays one game <laughs> yeah. and like he dominates the Clippers and Tweaks then his ankle. yeah, and then yeah. sits out the rest of the time. Um, but. It, yeah, it was just an incredible atmosphere, and it was interesting. That was my first time ever covering Lonzo because I hadn't like I didn't go to his introductory presser. Uh, I didn't go like cover him at UCLA or anything yeah. like that. And so it was my first experience dealing with the Lonzo Ball uh, interview efficiency machine, where like if you you can you could give him any question, it's like a defense on the floor. Yeah. Like he reads it, he's faced that question a hundred times, yeah, right. and he gives you a like five to ten word answer that exactly answers your question. Uh, look you directly in the eyes while he's doing it but he's not going to give you much more than that <laughs> so, and it's like lavar's like drilled it you know he's just like having breakfast at 6 a.m every morning when he's at chino hills and just like you're gonna get this question you get this question because I, I totally agree with that like he does just have like they're perfect answers like he's very mature looks right at you like you said but it's so strange that he just is like always so good about it it's rare to see a rookie that's that like uh, I guess me- mechanical and answering questions. Yeah, and there are some guys that like it. Uh, it would come off as curt when they did it, and it never yeah. comes off that no, way with doesn't. him. He just like he he he's answering your question. He's giving you a usable answer. It's just he's going to do it very fast, and he's not going to have to think about it for very long because he's been dealing with journalists since he was like probably 15 years old, yeah. and so he's like almost as much of a prodigy at answering questions as he is <laughs> at playing basketball. Like arguably better yeah. so far, um, and uh, and Kuzma. The, you asked about him and my the first experiences out there with him, and I, he's definitely gotten more confident since that. Like he was very confident on the court in summer league. Obviously, like that was the thing that stuck out was that he was just going to let fly immediately mm-hmm. once he touched the ball. Or he was at the very the things that's impressed me most about him overall is just how quick his decision making is already as a rookie. Like mm-hmm. most rookies, you can see the gears turning, you can see kind of the apple loading wheel going over their head. <laughs> yeah. Like you saw that a lot with Ingram last year, yeah. where he would get the ball and he kind of look at the defense 
glimpse and he's like looking at it and he's like, oh, okay, this is what Luke wants me to do here. And with Kuzma, you uh, never saw that. And so for some guys, it comes off as playing too fast, but he has a controlled way of doing it where he's making the right decisions more often than not. Kuz control, you could say. Exactly. Kuz control. Exactly. Look at that. Look at that. That was well done. And, like, if anything, he's gotten more confidence since then. I think, like, especially as far as interviews, like, going from uh, Summer League where he was, like, you know, he'd kind of answer questions. He, like, he definitely wasn't used to the Lonzo horde that was following a ball around at Summer League. And I think now he's, you saw him yesterday at practice sticking up for Lonzo, being very vocal. And then, like, last night I was talking to him at a charity event, and he just is already, like, so much more calm and composed and confident. And so he's already, like, just used to being a Laker and all of that stuff. Stuff. But out at Summer League, yeah, he was just, he was incredible. And it was uh, it was crazy to see fans uh, starting to get almost as hyped for him as they were yeah. for Ball. I think there was almost this, like, yeah. uh, like drunk on, like, the riches of the Lakers, uh, yeah. like, I, draft horse. I personally felt like nobody even really knew about Kuzma going into Summer League just because all the hype was around Lonzo. And then he, I knew almost nothing yeah, about yeah, him. Yeah. I'll, like, I'll admit that. Like, I knew that he had played in college, but I didn't, <laughs> like, I was trying to go in, like, at, with as few expectations as possible because yeah. I wanted to just go and watch him and, like, mm-hmm. see what he could do in the NBA. Because by the time the guy gets drafted and nobody expects him to go 27th, then like, what's the point of going back and watching his old college tape? Clearly, that would that didn't cause him to get drafted there because yeah. uh, the Lakers clearly saw something different than what other teams saw based on where he was projected. Yeah, I pre- so I wanted to go in clean. Yeah, I remember just watching, always focusing on Lonzo, like ISO cam on Lonzo, watching the game, and then. Every every play ended with a you know a Kuzma dunk or a Kuzma layup, and it's like oh Kuzma scored again. Oh Kuzma made another good play. Kuzma Kuzma, who's Kuzma? You know. Yeah. And then now he's trying to dunk on Joel Embiid, so he's, he's, he's come a long way. <laughs> yeah, he 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 almost like like I think I was joking the other day. Like I think Sam Hinkie would have gotten fired again if, uh, <laughs> if if he had finished that dunk. Like, Essentially, that was, yeah. Like yeah. the process is over at that point. Like, he, you got to wrap it up. He has no fear. Like he's no. he's he. I don't know that he's actually gotten his poster yet, but he's tried a couple times on a few yeah, guys. He's like, really close. Yeah, he he's he's incredible. Um, I think you mentioned something that that is very true about Lakers fans. Is like right now they're they're like almost craving a star. You know, so you saw that with Kuzma. You almost see like going back almost to. In the summer leagues, like that, like as yeah. soon as anyone in the last couple of years had like really started to play well or had like you know big hype moments, the fans just want them so bad. So I think we're just going to get like into the big question about Kuzma and, and Lonzo going forward in the future. Who do you think will be better? And I know this is you know a lot, a very very big question. There's a long way to go, but right now, what would you have to say? If you just I, to take I still think it's going to be uh, going to be Lonzo yeah. because number one, he had so much more success at every other level. Uh, like the, obviously Kuzma has been. Uh, I think arguably more successful in the NBA. I'm not sure that I'm willing to say that outright just because I don't know that he's been as good on defense as Lonzo has been. And Lonzo does a lot of things for you offensively as far as being able to pass the ball a lot and set guys up for shots without getting a ton of turnovers. He's actually been pretty efficient with that despite forcing passes at times, which is another thing that's impressed me. And I think Lonzo, like, if Lonzo figures the shot out, then, like, he's kind of already transcendent, whereas Kuzma still has a little bit to go. Like, he would have to develop a couple more things to get to that level or to, like, kind of hit that same ceiling that Lonzo could clearly hit if his shot develops. Mm -hmm. And so, and then also Kuzma's older, and so he's just more physically developed and more ready to kind of play in the NBA. And he also doesn't have a dad that's going out and, like, pissing off his opponents every single night and getting them to maybe give that little bit of extra 10% against Lonzo. I wasn't sure how real of an effect that was going to be, but it does seem to actually matter a little bit. Like, we saw with, like, obviously with Patrick Beverly. (laughs) The 
this guy, on opening he, night. Yeah, he's talked this about. Is, I've been preaching him, this since know, we drafted him. Yeah, we yeah. talked about how like you know he would be able to kind of shake it off, but I think yeah, I mean at this point it's hard to to not agree with that. that well, I, I think he I think he shakes it off fine. I think he's going to be fine. I just think that it's making it harder on him, not from like a mental perspective, yeah. but from his opponent is just going to be like, okay, I don't want to be the guy that yeah, Lavar Ball talks up like Lonzo roasting me after the game. Like like he he went in on Patrick Beverly after that first game against the Clippers, and I think guys like they just they want to show like they don't want to be the first guy that Lonzo lights up yeah. for that reason. Patrick and Beverly so, is a tenacious defender, but chances are he wouldn't have acted that way against Lonzo the if there was no first play this season. In, yeah. 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 yeah, no, and like a rookie too. Yeah. Like that was just like, like that was just like bullying a oh, little yeah. bit. It like, literally yeah. was bullying. Like it was just like I'm gonna hit you. Like Lonzo is barely an adult, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. and like this yeah. is like a like how old is Patrick Beverly? He's, he's almost thirty. He's almost thirty. Yeah, like a man. And like so he's like running over and like knocking this like almost child to the ground. Yeah. Like in his first NBA game in front of thousands of people, I don't like Patrick Beverly is like as Russell Westbrook is well aware, like a tenacious and dogged defender. But I don't think he would have been doing that to a rookie like right off the bat in his starting debut. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny you say that. I, I coach freshman basketball, and it'd be like it's literally like if I were to just hop into practice and start pushing my point guard. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, just get in their face. Like why? The same age difference. It's so ridiculous. Or like if you put uh, if you put one of like your probably like your least talented freshman in the varsity game, but before the game you started yelling at all the senior players <laughs> yeah. about how he was going to light them up. Yeah, like like <laughs> yeah. They, that 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 that. that kid would probably not make it out of that game okay no. like and so that kind of stuff is that that's just going to happen like that's a real human factor and I don't think that it's going to be damaging to Lonzo long term it actually might help him he might be forced to develop a little bit more quickly but I I think right now that is going to be an issue that he's going to run into that maybe Kuzma won't as much and as much as people say like to say like of course you know they're NBA players they're professionals they try every single game of the season you can tell when like there are 82 games guys give extra effort sometimes and sometimes Sometimes they don't, and I think a lot of the these guys are giving that little bit of extra effort against yeah. Lonzo. Yeah, and just jumping around to some other players on the team, I know a lot of the news around the Lakers right now is centered around that Sixers game and how Embiid kind of dominated them, especially Julius Randle. Um, Julius Randle also went 2-for-12 on offense in that game, and you know, there's been some second-guessing of Luke's decision to not double or any of that. I know you talked about it on your most recent podcast, which I listened to, but just your thoughts in general about Julius Randle's place on the team for the present and the future. So I don't think he has much of a place for the future as much as I've liked the growth that he's shown this year. I just think it's kind of a math problem. And while people have tried to find creative situation, creative ways to get around that, like, okay, well, if the Lakers could dump Clarkson and if they could dump Dang and if they, or if they could, the Eric Pink is a Bleacher Report got like really uh, woke this week. Yeah, and like, <laughs> like, and, like the Lakers yeah. have to extend Dang and then oh, stretch him. Yeah. And then like, and yeah. I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, but that actually All might right. work. Yeah, I'm glad you... Yeah, and, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, "This is nuts! I can't believe I'm reading this right no, now." No, that's like a, that's like it's like one of those things that like at first you're like, "That's insane," and then you're like, "Oh, that actually might not be like a terrible option if they could make that happen." But like that's the le- like that's the amount of difficulty that yeah. the Lakers would have to go through just in order to even have a chance to keep Randall. And so for that reason, I don't think he has much of a future with the team, even though he's obviously shown a lot of growth this year. I've actually really liked him as a backup center, and he's I, I think he's been like other you know. 
against the Sixers, he wasn't that great. But for the most part this year, he's been incredible. And uh, so I like his game, and I think that for this year, he's going to... I, I think he probably finishes the year with the team. I don't really see them trading him because I don't think that another team is going to be willing to give up a ton of assets just for the rights to pay Julius Randle. Yeah. But we'll see. Uh, it only takes one team. And But going moving forward, I just don't think that they're going to be able to get out from under Clarkson, get out from under Dang, and then also convince Randle to hold off on like taking any offer sheets or whatever while they try mm-hmm. to sort out Paul George and LeBron and DeMarcus Cousins and whoever else they're trying to go after. Like I just think that there's just whenever there's that many variables that need to kind of fall right for a guy to stay with the team, it just seems unlikely that they're going to stay. And you bring up Boogie too, and I mean I've been uh, vocalish about Brooke Lopez, and I really like what he is, and I think he could be a, a big part if we were to get a Paul George or obviously a LeBron. How do you feel about, and obviously Boogie, if we're going to get Boogie, obviously I'm taking him over Brooke, but how do you feel about the job that Brooke's done this year kind of being maybe a mercenary? Like he's, he might just be like a rental. Yeah, so and that's a, that's like a lot of guys on this team this year, which is also another reason that it's kind of surprising that they played so cohesively and so well, especially because you see that a lot on defense more than so more so than on offense. Like, uh, of course, like everybody's going to try and set each other up because team players are smart enough now to realize that if they're a team player, teams do notice that the yeah. analytics do pick up on that. Now you don't just have to go score twenty five a game to get paid anymore, but on defense is where you're seeing this cohesiveness that you don't often see from a team for like you said of like mercenaries like Contavious Caldwell. Pope and Brooke mm-hmm. Lopez like are most likely just here for a year and uh, they're really chipping in and buying in and yes they're professionals and so like they deserve credit for that but like also, I, I, to answer your original question, I think Brooke has been really good, and he's probably been the Lakers' best offensive player. And he's someone that, like the team, when I was writing about him earlier this week, and the team, they don't, they never turn the ball over less than when Lopez is on the floor. So he's got that's exactly that type of security blanket that I think everybody thought that he was going to give the Lakers' young players, where it's like, all right, this is a guy that we can give him the ball, and he's at least going to be able to get a decent shot up. And so he. He's helped them in that way. I think he's helped them like as a screen setter. He's helped them as a floor spacer after kind of a rough start. And he's helped them as a defender just by like not being Timofey Mozgov. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, he's really helped the team, and I've been impressed with him. I still, I think it's it's another thing like Randall, where there are so many different variables that would have to like kind of go for him to end up remaining with the team. He would have to kind of like if, if things go right for the Lakers, Brook Lopez is not going to stay unless he wants to take. Less money, less money for a year and then like maybe get paid the following year but that's a leap of faith for, for a guy that suffered foot injuries kind of throughout his career and he's been healthy this year he's been healthy I think he was relatively healthy last year too um, but for the most part he's been kind of injury prone and uh, like who knows if you're willing to take another one year leap of faith yeah. after kind of this year like going into a situation where you don't know what's going to happen next summer so I think and then like but there is a chance that he stays with the team because I think there is a scenario where the Lakers miss out on those kind of big fish and they say all right well we're gonna get the band back together and run it back with Lopez and KCP and see if we can just grow with these young guys and while I don't think that that's something that most Laker fans would be particularly happy with (laughs) uh, I get like that I think is the most likely scenario in which Brooke Lopez stays which is again probably not something that if you're a Laker fan you want so Speaking about next summer, what do you think will happen to the Lakers? You know, we talked about all these big-name free agents. Specifically, you know, everyone wants to know where LeBron's going to go, what's going to happen with that. What do you think is going to happen? Will he be in purple and gold? Will another star be in purple and gold? I'm I'm not going to call their shot for them yet. I think that... 
I think they have a better chance than I think some people are kind of giving them. They want to dismiss it. Like, oh, the Lakers are just going to be bad again. Why would LeBron sign there? Like, there's been so much smoke on this yeah. that I think there's a chance that he's really considering coming out to Los Angeles. And the fact that they've been so good defensively this year, like, has to be something that probably impresses him, especially with such a young team. Mm-hmm. So I'm not willing to say it's the most likely option that he signs yet. But I do think, like, I honestly think there's, like, we're getting closer to like a 50-50 kind of shot where the Lakers have a coin flip chance if they were able to show kind of any level of improvement on offense while keeping this defense up, then I think they have a better chance than people realize. Yeah, and something we've talked about a lot on the podcast is if, in fact, LeBron does come to the Lakers in that scenario, which, you know, it's still up in the air, obviously, but he's arguably one of the greatest players of all time, and if he joins the team, he would be on the tail end of his career, still a very effective player, still one of the smartest players in the league. Uh... Would he, do you think, negatively impact the growth of the younger players on the Lakers if he does join the team, or would that just be something that he could mesh into pretty well because he's a smart player and knows how to play basketball? It would kind of depend on the mindset that he took about it. Like, we saw when he went back to Cleveland, it was like, okay, we're going to ship most of these young guys out for veterans that can help me right now. So those young guys may not be able to have their growth stunted by LeBron because they may not be on his team anymore, (laughs) and they may get traded for, you know, a guy that can come in and help LeBron right now. Uh, but if LeBron comes in and he understands, like, okay, I'm kind of at the tail end of my career. I need these guys to develop so that they can kind of carry me once I can't carry them anymore. And he kind of shifts more full-time into that power forward role. And then you see, like, you know, him playing with Ingram or him playing with George with Ingram coming off the bench. And I, I think right now for a guy like Ingram, like a lesser role would actually help him. And I think we've seen that as his role was lessened from preseason to the regular season. And he started to be more effective where they aren't just saying, okay, you're Kobe now. Go do your yeah, Kobe yeah. impression. <laughs> and uh, like they're they're get, letting him be much more of a secondary option. And so in for him, playing off of a guy like LeBron, I think would be incredibly helpful. Okay. I think for Lonzo, having just like literally anyone else on <laughs> yeah. the floor that can make a play for other people and themselves. Yeah. Like Lonzo has guys that can make plays for themselves and then he actually they don't really have guys that can make plays for other people but to have a guy in LeBron that can do both I think would be incredible for him and I think a guy like Lonzo is going to get LeBron more easy buckets than maybe he's ever had in his career as like a weak side cutter and things like like some of the stuff you saw him doing with Dwayne Wade in Miami Mm -hmm. Um, and not to say that Lonzo is Dwayne Wade yet at all but like he he is an amazing passer and if defenses start to not pay attention like at a time when LeBron doesn't have the ball like that's going to set him up for some easy opportunities. Right. Anytime you can take the spotlight off LeBron like that, that would be incredible for Lonzo, you know? Yeah, and like Lon- it, it would lead to a really interesting question of like, who would be more overcovered once LeBron yeah. came to LA? <laughs> like, would it be yeah. because Lonzo is almost at the wow. point where like he is like he's not even playing well, and there are like hordes of media that follow him around. Every like I was actually I went to that charity event last night that the Lakers did a mm-hmm. season of giving, and I was actually kind of glad that Lonzo wasn't there because it meant that like I might actually get to like be inside the scrum and like get a question <laughs> yeah. in or two because like the the amount of me the sheer amount of media that he has following him like it's crazy and it's only going to expand once he starts to actually play well. and um, it's going to be interesting to see like what that like LeBron actually might come to a team and be like the less covered guy (laughs) for once in his entire career and uh, like I mean that I'm being a little facetious he'd probably still be the bigger story especially in LA Mm -hmm. Uh, but like I think that probably has to appeal to him at least on a little bit of a level to have another guy of like his caliber um, 
like on that team or like somebody that's considered of his caliber on that team where like he's not going to have to always be the guy that's like getting just swarmed after games and things like that and like nobody's going to make their free agency decision off of that but it is like one little like (laughs) kind of checkbox that you can look at yeah every little piece helps and in terms of coverage and just talking to players you've been in the Lakers locker room a lot these uh, past few years and you've covered the team and talked to players um what player in your experience so far either this year or years past has been most accommodating to you or has gotten the easiest access. I know you have to go through PR sometimes to get to talk to players, but just in your experience covering the team, uh, do you have anybody that stands out as somebody who's been nice to you or just accommodating? It's definitely Larry Nance, and I think that's probably an answer that you'd get from most reporters, but he's the type of guy that, like, he doesn't, especially towards the end of last year, he wasn't always as in the locker rooms before games because, you know, the team was bad. Like, guys don't really want to talk as much, but, like, for the most part, like, Nance, if you ask it, like, at any point, if you ask him if he has a second, he'll give you a second, If you, especially if it's, like, like a specific story he seems to appreciate if you're working on like a specific story either on him or on some aspect of the team he's willing to take the time aside and like give you something uh so like for example last year I was uh writing something on the Lakers bench and like that bench unit with him and uh and Lou Williams and Jordan Clarkson and Tarek Black and Brandon Ingram that had had so much success and was one of the best lineups in the league and I wanted to talk to all of them and Nance gave me like five minutes of his time before a game just to answer various questions and was very accommodating. He's been on our podcast before a couple times and uh, he's very funny. He's willing to like, uh, myself and uh, my co-host Anthony are very sarcastic. Our podcast is a little Mm -hmm. bit lighter. It's not like just always X's and O's and he was willing to kind of play along with bits and things like that (laughs) and has like the same kind of sarcastic sense of humor I have there was uh, I was talking to him after a charity event in which he played knockout with kids and uh, he lost to one of the children and he was like I was just like all right I'm just going to treat this like it's a post-game interview and so just, <laughs> just roll with it and so uh, I started asking him like about like how like how much it hurt to lose to like a child yeah. and knockout and he just ran with it that <laughs> yeah. it was like That's great. Well, yeah so he he's been really great okay, another guy who I think a lot of people wouldn't have, like Larry's the obvious answer mm-hmm. so I think another guy that a lot of people probably wouldn't expect uh, was Timofey Mozgov, who last hmm. year, like, when I would grab, like, he, he, like, English isn't his first language, so it's, like, sometimes you, like, he, he can't always give you, like, a quote that you can use, or that's, like, you know, you have, you might have to, like, not clean it up, but, like, yeah. you have to be careful, like, what you take from him, because you don't want it to come off, like, uh, you don't want it to come off incorrectly. And so, but like when I, he was somebody that was always willing to be just like really honest. Like, and if you ask them, like some guys, if you ask them about something, they don't want to disagree with the premise of your question because they don't want, you know, maybe you to feel bad or they don't, they just, nobody really wants to be disagreeable. But like, I remember asking him something about, I forget what it was about the Lakers young players. uh, And I think it was something to do with their defense or something like that. And he just totally disagreed with the premise of my question. And I appreciated it (laughs) because like, I'd rather get that honest opinion in there and give kind of both sides of that story when I'm writing about something like that. So when I'm writing about the Lakers young players like trying to improve defensively and I have a couple people saying like okay yeah this is probably you can just chalk it up to because they're young that kind of stuff's going to happen and then you have Mozgov coming in and saying oh no it has nothing to do with being young like you just have to develop the right habits no matter what age you are. Like I always just appreciated kind of his honesty and like his lack of filter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. We've been talking about like past players just right now, like Mozgov and stuff like that. And you know, we were, you know, we knew we were gonna be on the podcast. I'm looking through some tweets, and um, I actually have it pulled up here. Oh, this is not good. If you're wondering who the guy walking around Newport in a Sasha Vujacic jersey (laughs) is, it's me. (laughs) For so this, how do you feel about Sasha Vujacic? Is he one of your favorite Lakers? 
Jesse has so, certain opinions about I'm gonna, it. Yeah, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, then I'll tell you how I feel. So this is this is the part where, you know, we remember earlier in the podcast, I said I'm mostly a journalist now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think the only jersey that I ever wear outside of my house ever now is that Sasha Vujicic jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's because he is, uh, I remember, I don't know if you guys ever were, ever watched those machine videos on the internet oh, where yeah. somebody did oh, like yeah. a funny voice, Sasha Vujicic. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching those. Spurs game two. I machine come to game dressed like model. Party back. Machine continue great defense. Face Pinocchio. Maybe tiny fruit, but it's okay. He fruit more. Body man now scared of machine. Machine do not feel sorry. Machine feel nothing. Uh, he just is like um, like a caricature and is like, he was always very amusing to me. And uh, when I was like, uh, when I was chubbier, when I started college, I didn't look like him. People, I had like a giant, like, like, uh, like curly hair and everything. People would always say I looked like pal. But when I got like skinnier and I cut my hair, yeah. people started saying I looked like Sasha Vujicic, which I see it a little bit. Like I'm like a malnourished, like less, <laughs> like malnourished, less attractive, like less like well coiffed, I guess, <laughs> Sasha Vujicic. But like I could see it. And um, but so he just like as just kind of, I've never actually interacted with him, but okay. just for that reason, because people were always comparing me to him, they kind of gaslighted me into becoming him a little bit and just like accepting that that was my brand now that I'm the yeah. Sasha Vujicic of Lakers Twitter. Okay. And so... Uh, like I had that jersey from back when the team was like, like I think it, I bought it in like 2009 or 2010, mm-hmm. and I've just like kept it around. And you know, he's just like a character. And the, you know, he had, like people ask me like who a dream podcast guest would be, and it would be him. Uh, I really want to get Sasha Vujicic at some point uh. and confront him with this, and that this has become my brand because I think it would be so hilariously awkward. And if he was willing to go with it, that it could be kind of fun. But anyway, I, I will cede the floor to you and your yeah. Well, Sasha first of all. I'll say I'll say that I respect a jersey. You know, like I, I'm never going to talk down on any jersey. That's a great choice. Uh, another point before I get into anything, I think Sasha Vujicic would also be a dream podcast guest for us, um, but for another reason, it's because I think uh, he's one of the worst players in NBA history. Um, and I think right now I could beat him in a game of one on one. Okay. And I know you're going to say that's crazy, and I understand that. And you're I, I you're, can, you're pulling the Levar Ball a little bit right yeah, now. I respect bit. it. You're trying to yeah. you're trying you're going to trash talk him until he comes on your podcast to tell you why he would kick your ass in one. And then I would hope that he would play me. Yeah, because yeah. I really I, I, it's not like a thing where it's like I'm going to talk trash and then if he's like all right let's play I'm gonna be like nah I like yes let's go like I'm ready because my thing was he did two things he shot free throws and he hit. He literally he won hit. the Lakers' title. I'm, I'm gonna say you should show some respect by, to by, by hitting free throws. He's not the only person on that team that can hit free throws. But he made them. And I then don't know. He, he made them. They were pretty clutch. And catch and shoot threes. He, if he, he put fixed, the ball on the floor, he fixed his eyebrows and he went up there <laughs> and he hit those clutch yeah, shots. Can't okay, forget, can't forget the eyebrows. Yeah, but just, yeah. Forget if, if, if he puts the fl- ball on the floor, he was missing. Like the only time he was gonna make a shot was if it was a catch-and-shoot open three, and that's what bugged me about him. Is he got part of it was because he got so much love for being a catch-and-shoot open three guy, and then every other part of his game was trash. And so it was just it was just annoying, and I just I just don't think he's good, and he, I can beat him one-on-one. He's just a notorious hater, though. Because, yeah. like, oh, we love Sasha. You know, it's, he's iconic in Lakers I, history. His, you know? his, it was after he left the Lakers. The Lakers traded him. Yeah. But I, one of my favorite post-game quotes I've ever read was he scored, like, 20 for the Nets in one game, and he was just talking about how he could average 20 anytime he wanted, <laughs> but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to, he wants to play team basketball. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, see, yeah. anyone that Kobe enjoys, you gotta, you got to mess with, I feel like. That's, that's what that's I'm saying. Like, the fact, that, like he was, the fact that he was insanely confident enough that 
that even Kobe appreciated uh-huh. him. Oh, yeah. It's like that kind of like lends to the legend yeah. even more. Like if you're like if you're working hard enough that you can be like that kind of uh, misguided a little bit, and like Kobe still appreciates you, I think like I, I you you got to respect it a little bit. And speaking of the Mamba, I know you were probably just coming up into your journalism career when Kobe was heading out. But did you have any overlapping interactions with him when you were covering the team? My first time ever stepping foot in the Lakers locker room, I literally uh, ran into Kobe, or more accurately, he ran into me. I was, I was, I didn't know what to do. I was kind of taken aback. I'd never been in there before. And Kobe did not want to get just swarmed by reporters when he was on yeah. his way from the Lakers, uh, the players' lounge to the training room. And so he just, you see the door like dart open. Kobe's darting from that room, like doesn't want to get caught by anybody. And here is like me and my like idiot self just standing completely in the middle of the locker room in his way. And he just like almost runs into me, pulls up, excuse me, buddy. And then like kind of moves me aside, darts into the practice room. And so that was my first ever interaction with Kobe. And then really the only other time I interacted with him was his last post-game locker room scrum. And uh, it was, that was the, mo- that was like the second most media I've ever seen around a place Player's locker for their uh, uh, like after a game. Yeah. It was the first being Meta World Peace's final game because <laughs> legend. Uh, yeah, because it was that game where he it was his final game in Staples Center and the media loved he Meta. Went, yeah, and there was game. like yeah he went off that game and then there was like I'm not even kidding like it was at least. 10 bodies deep of media to like try and talk to him. I got that. I, I saw the horde forming around his locker. Yeah. And then I look at a Lakers PR guy and I like look at my tape recorder. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to pick up any audio from this whatsoever. <laughs> like, and so I just gave up. I was like, all right, I'm not writing about meta tonight. And I knew everybody else was going to write about meta. Yeah. So like, that wasn't my thing for that game anyway. Yeah. I, f- I forget what I wrote about, but I found something else. You got to bring and, like, a boom mic in to like hold yeah. up. Exactly. <laughs> like, like get like a fishing rod and like attach <laughs> yeah. my tape recorder to it and yeah. throw it in there. But Kobe, it was probably like, I, I remember that last locker room scrum like oh, you, you couldn't even see the people asking the questions like literally there, Ramona Shelburne I heard her uh, pop up with like a couple questions and Kobe just stops and he's like Ramona, where are you? <laughs> and like, and like, she was like, of course, like she's not very tall, and she was like, she was like six bodies back, and she was like, like hidden by a bunch of other reporters and cameras and whatever. But like, um, and probably wasn't going to be able to pick up audio from him anyway. Was going to have to be able to get it from somebody else. But like, that's uh, that. So those are like my memories of Co. And I remember just the year that I covered him was the most kind of. It was his last year, and it was yeah. the most unfiltered he's ever been. Yeah. And it was just kind of like fun to be around and. Like he had like really let loose a little bit more with the media than I think he had in prior years because he knew that was it for him and he yeah. was trying to get his uh, his start as a storyteller, which as he will tell like anyone who asks yeah. him what his passion is nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's very his true. muse. Yeah. Muse cage, muse cage. Yeah. Nick here is a is a big proponent of the Lakers purple jerseys, and he has been very upset that they are not wearing them on the. Road. It's weird, right? right? Do you right. have any opinion on that? Because we don't like. I don't. I don't really care what they do. Like personally, I love the baby blues they wore last night. Whatever they want to wear, I'm good with. I hate the baby blues, but I'm an oh. SC fan. That's why. So anyway. I actually like I like the baby blues, but I think I think they should wear that more often. But yeah, yeah. I don't know what's happened to the purple jersey. Uh, purple is my favorite color, actually. Oh, so so you're it's, on board here. yeah, it's kind of weird that they aren't wearing them at all. But I don't know. Maybe the players like just decided that they like the other jerseys more. Yeah. I have no idea. Like I, I really, somebody should ask him. They, yeah. You know, some journalist who has access to Lakers occasionally should ask yeah, about maybe. this. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe there's someone that maybe. we could talk to anyway, to ask yeah. that. Well, if we find that guy, hopefully, ask that yeah. question. Yeah. Because in general, though, what do you think of these new? I've. I feel strongly more than probably these guys do about. He's it. He's an old school. I'm jersey a, guy. You can call me a jersey traditionalist because I like. 
when the home team wears a light or a yellow color jersey, the road team wears their dark jersey. All I'm seeing this year is road jerseys at home, it's road jerseys against road jerseys. Color, yeah, color rush, basically. It's basically an NBA, what is, NBA what is your rush. opinion of this jersey phenomenon that we're seeing in the NBA this year? I, I, I do actually like the unpredictability of it. It's just kind of like, it, it is kind of like just fun that they're changing up their jerseys all the time but yeah i mean like going back like they should have wear the purple ones like they yeah. they've won a lot of meaningful games in the purple ones and exactly. like i think there's like a lot i, I think honestly i think i probably like the purple ones more than the yellow ones and so i, I don't really know why they've went away from that or yeah and, but yeah i mean some of the jerseys uh that nike came out with like the timberwolves neon ones especially look like horrible yeah. and so like should probably just be burned yeah. but um <laughs> do yeah you, do you think it's some of a because this is how I feel about the yellows on the road is I think it's kind of a baller move like yo we're coming into your yeah, place a, and yeah. we're gonna wear our home jerseys maybe that's it maybe and that, that was my thought started. process on maybe it. they're just big ballers now yeah. <laughs> they're like all right this is our everywhere is our home is yeah. Lonzo's home court yeah exactly <laughs> okay. it's like they're gonna wear white we're gonna wear our yellows Lakers rebranded and took the wish patch off and went with triple B's I wanted that to happen <laughs> so amazing. badly like I don't know what loans Lavar would have had to take out <laughs> to like get enough money to make that happen but like I I was praying like oh, when it was not God. announced that the Lakers like who the Lakers jersey sponsor yeah. was i'm like please let it be big baller <laughs> please that would Fantastic. be so amazing for the content but uh unfortunately it was wish and uh yeah i guess like you know the the jersey patch is actually more understated than i thought i started mm-hmm. to not really notice it at yeah. all and i like, love the Cavs one i think the Cavs one is probably the best one i think it fits the best on the, the jersey color scheme. Some yeah team just go that like block patch and looks bad like, yeah the like do a good job exactly like the lakers, lakers it's just a purple thing yeah. that says yeah. wish like it, it looks fine mm-hmm. and so like of course the lakers got something right with their jersey because they have like the best jerseys in the NBA and kind of always have and yeah. so like it makes sense that they would not mess up the patch like if they had put like some like you know like giant patch on there for like Jack in the Box or yeah, something right. it would look horrible free, but, tacos. free tacos though yeah. yeah it'd be funny that tacos and it just said we want tacos just an advertisement uh, one of the most important questions of this entire podcast I think has to be do you watch Ball in the Family Yes, I do. I, I it is. <laughs> Who said that was the most? Nobody important? Here, nobody else here is saying that's the that. most important question. I absolutely watch Ball in the Family. I unfortunately am not caught up on like the last three episodes of the season. I just have not been able to find time to sit down and watch them. It's okay. But I was. <laughs> I watched the like I was not expecting to like it at all, but I was hooked from the first episode, and there I was go. like, and, because. Like, just the fact that, like, my, my favorite moment was they were, like, they were ribbing Lonzo for, like, they, they put one guy on, like, his super, kind of introducing him that he, like, cut Lonzo's food for him. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Maybe it's an inside joke. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Lonzo goes to the restaurant with his girlfriend, and he passes her his steak, and she starts cutting it for him <laughs> on camera. And I'm like... What is going on right yeah. now? And uh, yeah, honestly, it's like, uh, you know, this is probably like politically incorrect, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's like keeping up with the Kardashians for men. I do. I think that's right. That's, that's hilarious. Very, very spot on. I think yeah. Just because it's like, I think that is the one thing you just can't look away. It's amazing. Like, Which really like is, is the just... balls, the balls are the Kardashians yeah, in I'm basketball. De- definitely keeping up with the balls. <laughs> wow, pause. Yeah. Pause. I'm definitely keeping up with it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited because I know with the stuff that's going on in China right now with Leangelo and LeVar, no LeVar and LaMelo are not there. He's home, baby. 
He's home now. Free Jello. Uh, he's home now, yeah. Free Jello, yeah. But Suspended indefinitely. Do you think they brought the cameras for Ball and the Family out to China and it'll be included in the next season? I know they have a next season coming out. Um, I'm personally excited for that. Honestly, I think they probably had the cameras yeah, and I did. don't think that we're going to get a lot of that footage yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because I think this is one of those things where they're like, all right, we just want to kind of sweep this. Yeah. Like, even LeVar probably oh, wants yeah. this. As much as he talks up everything and doesn't really care about how his family... This is probably the one scenario where he's like, all right, we don't need any more headlines about that. We'll pass. <laughs> yeah. So, and he hasn't been talking about it really. He, like, he put out a quote or maybe two, but like that's yeah, really he was it. like, "This is a this is not as serious as people yeah. are making it out to be. Everything is going to be fine." Like he was very understated about it, which was somewhat disappointing for me. Which like I get, it's a serious situation. Mm-hmm. He wants to be. You want to be careful that you don't piss off a foreign government and cause oh, them yeah. to hold your son hostage. Totally understand that. But I was very disappointed that we did not get Lavar Ball versus the Chinese government. <sighs> Uh, just like saying, you know, like I thought this was a communist yeah. country. Yeah. Like what? What happened to sharing? Yeah, right. Like, uh, God. You can't steal when the world is yours. Like <laughs> never lost. Yeah. God. See, yeah. What was great? What was great about going back to Ball and the Family was somebody found a clip from the first episode that I remember now, but had yeah. forgotten about of Leangelo and uh, one of his friends helping Lonzo move, and they were like dropping stuff all over the place, and Lavar literally yelled at them, "You would never get away with stealing. You could never steal anywhere." <laughs> oh, I remember that. That's so hilarious. I, I do remember that. He, <laughs> he sp- literally everything he says, he speaks it into existence. The man is incredible. <laughs> That's I mean, hilarious. Zeus and Jesus, really. You know, what, what can you say? <laughs> it's funny that you, you call it the like the Kardashians of, of basketball. I don't know if you've seen Pablo Torre famously calls the NBA uh, a men's soap opera. Like, it's yeah, a soap it opera can... for males that they can unabashedly enjoy. It definitely is. <laughs> like, so well, you true. see it with all the social media stuff oh, yeah. and, like, LeBron posting Arthur memes on yeah. his Instagram. Like, you can't make this stuff up. You could not put writers into a writer's room for the, whatever the NBA version of ballers would be and have <laughs> yeah. them, like, come up with this stuff yeah. sometimes. No, especially, like, especially with LeVar has taken it to a whole yeah. other NBA Twitter is just a glorious it's, place. It's yes. perfect, too, just because, you know, in baseball, like, anytime, you know, we know the whole thing about bat flips, like, pitchers are just going to overreact. People are going to overreact to that. In football, you, you know, start talking trash and they can take it on the field and someone gets really hurt. Basketball is just perfect because, you know, you just have to play the game, but you can still trash talk as much as you want. And that's when we really see the, you know, the emergence of, of LeBron, social media savant. And it's, I, I'm so here for it. I love it. And, jo- and Joel Embiid's social Embiid's media savant. Great. Like, <laughs> like I was I was saying the other day, if Joel, like, the guy who runs at Sixers better hope that Joel Embiid, like, never decides, like, you know, that looks like a fun job. I could do that. Yeah, because right. Because he would, hey, the Sixers social media team does a great job. Joel Embiid is, like, one of the best tweeters and social media people, like, mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Like, just a natural at it. It's like, it, he he's almost as much of a prodigy at social media as he is at basketball. Yeah. And he's He's pretty incredible at basketball as Lakers fans saw. Yeah, yeah. I think you tweeted this tweet the other day, this uh, Joel Embiid's location on his Instagram post. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. But, no, he, that's something that I watch for now this on I mean, all of his yeah. Instagram posts because, like, there was, uh, there was, I think it was against the Kings. Like, there was no foul called on, I believe it was DeMarcus Cousins at the end of the game when Joel Embiid was trying to shoot a three. And he said, like, he said, like, tough loss, but hashtag trust the process or something. But he tagged his location. It was a photo of Cousins fouling him. Him, and uh-huh. he tagged his location as bullshit land. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> saw that which is there. also excellent yeah. name for Sacramento. Yeah, but, yeah that's very true. That's true. Oh, wow. 
Um, I, I apologize. Am I allowed to curse? No, on no, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. you're okay. okay. Good. I was gonna say, like, if you need to take a timestamp to to, to no, leave no, that, please. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I empathize with you, and I'm glad that I don't have to go back and clean this up no, like right, I do yeah. on my own podcast. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, we, yeah, we didn't. Even, I guess because we hadn't cursed it all day. That's usually we get it out early. Okay, cool. <laughs> Something will happen every once in a while, usually, but yeah, I guess not. One, one of the segments of our show that we'll move on to right now. Oh, is, I was I was ready for this. Yeah, be prepared to be disappointed. Excellent. That kind of scares me. Yeah, it's the it's the fast food flavor. Jesse, you want to take it away? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, we've talked about it. it's our favorite fast food. We, you know, I, I usually will talk about something new in fast food, or you know, something like last week's was the McRib. You know, since it's McRib season. But um, mm-hmm. what's your favorite fast food? You said prepare to be disappointed. I guess disappoint us here. So I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> So fast food is not a play, uh, something that I frequent, yeah. and I frequently get uh, people get very mad at me on social media about my food takes in general because I'm like <laughs> I'm like a very not picky eater. So I'll kind yeah. of like as long as it's like vegetarian friendly, like I'll eat something, and I'll be like, all right, that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I was I haven't been a vegetarian my whole life. Yeah. I used to eat I used to actually eat like cheeseburgers all the time. It was my favorite food, and I feel like In and Out is very overrated, and I feel like I need to drop that on another oh. podcast. Uh-oh. Just to get more, like I'm exposing the. I'm gonna yeah. make a whole new audience <laughs> yeah. very, very. I don't hurt. Just right into physical pain. Right yeah. Now. Well, yeah. so the thing is, like when I, I do the fast food flavor, and I haven't talked about uh, In and Out because I think it's unfair be- to everybody else because In and Out is far and away the best burger and the best fast food place in the world, in my opinion. So I actually I agree that it's better than most fast food burgers, but the way that people talk about In and Out online like, does not line like up. How I just did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does not line up with how good In and Out is and the experience of having to wait so long for every single In and Out and all that like it's just to me it was not worth the trade off of like having to wait thirty minutes, pay more and uh like get like a burger that yeah, like it was better than McDonald's or whatever, but like was it worth the time investment? For me, yes. it was not. And uh, so I will go to the grave saying Whataburger is better than In-N-Out. Oh, oh wow. Oh, so I, I recently, last month, uh, had my first Whataburger experience. And I would say it was completely average. But, I mean, that's just, you know, uh, tomatoes. I, to- I told you I was Potatoes. Gonna, I told I you I was going to make you guys yeah. mad. You prepared us. That yeah. You prepared us. And you gave us fair warning. Yeah, there, yeah. There's somebody in their car right now punching their steering wheel <laughs> and, like, deciding, yeah. you know what? Like, I need to drive to Cal State Fullerton to fight this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you say you were recording from again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we're not, you know, not going to give out the we, address. No. We, we appreciate the honesty. Yeah, and that's, that's more of a, like, I, I would much rather someone be honest with me than try and yeah. say, the, the same exact thing if they don't believe it. So exactly. I appreciate that. Yeah. Gotta, and Embrace we'll to, debate. We'll have to explore if there's any vegetarian fast food options. Well, the fun, yeah. like like Jack in the Box tacos, uh, the meat in them is Not like meat. 1% meat, actually. Like, oh, so those are like almost okay. It's almost like, like almost okay. there was like, there was a rumor going around that they were actually not meat yeah. at all. And so they, I mean, Taco Bell, that you went in and we figured out that they're like, I think it's like 3%. Yeah. Of it is actually meat, my, of the meat. My roommate in college was a vegan, and we had, like we found out about this in college and spent like an hour researching Jack in the Box tacos to see if he could go eat it. Yeah, because it's Cause not not very much of it. Yeah, he said, meat. yeah, for some reason, like he didn't miss any other meat, but he was like, oh, I really like Jack in the Box tacos. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's interesting because Jack in the Box tacos, like I've all, oh, this is another thing that one of my food takes that has made people mad. Jack in the Box tacos are trash. Like <sighs> they're just they're not think, good. Like the sliced cheese in a the sliced cheese in part of the draw part of the draw of the Jack in the Box tacos. Is they are, like, they, I think they taste delicious, but they're so trash. 
if that makes any <laughs> no, sense. No, it's like uh, like a lot of my friends like they'll say like it's just really good drunk food. And I think the other thing too, when you're talking to Lakers fans, is like Jack in the Box tacos taste like a win. That's so <laughs> very true. I right think there. I, I think that's probably a large part of it why my Twitter following gets upset with me. Other than the fact that they're already like triggered by my food takes just in yeah. general. Yeah. So I, I think. Jack in the Box tacos, I never thought were very good. Like even when I did eat them, when like yeah. you know I didn't care that they still had like the whatever three percent meat left in them. <laughs> um, but like I think there's like a positive association there, at least for like people of LA, because yeah. you know like that meant that you won and that you held the other team under a hundred points. Exactly. Yeah, that's a pretty good night. Yeah. yeah. So what about I guess if, you know for you you know if you want to make other people mad, if you could replace the tacos with something for a Lakers win in under 100 points, what would you choose? Oh, man. I know, this is a tough one. There's probably a lot of things that you could go through your mind, but first first thing that comes up. So it has to be a restaurant food or just any food Anything. in general? It could be whatever you want. Okay, so I'm going to actually go with, uh, like, my favorite food is actually, like, oatmeal with cinnamon and fruit, and that's going to okay. make, again, that's going to be another thing that makes people very <laughs> mad. They're like, they're like, this boring dude <laughs> is going to trash talk in and out and then tell me that he wants oatmeal. <laughs> Uh, so imagine but that in Staples Center. Like, you could do a hundred. They get like, we want oatmeal. Lawrence Santer, please don't forget to get your bowl of meal on the way out. Yeah, right. your oatmeal packet. That actually, like, that if, if, if they said get your bowl of oatmeal on the way out, that would worry me about the quality of it. Like, <laughs> I, would, I would be like, you know what, never mind. I've actually switched sides. I'm rooting for the other team now. I don't know if they would do, like, you know, they'd do, like, Han Ready oatmeal and they would, like, hand it out on your way out. I feel like you get a packet. That's almost like, you know, you're getting cheated. Though, then you gotta do work. I don't do then work. Then you have to go do yeah. So yeah. I just want either one like the, the t shirt gun. Well, that's part of the oh god. <laughs> that's part of that's part of the appeal for me is like somebody who doesn't have a lot of free time is like I can make it very fast. It's very fast and very easy yeah. to make, and like I like it. You know, I know yeah. like it's not most people's favorite food. I, I go when I'm cooking for myself. Yeah. That's what I go with. Like You're a you know, noodle guy. Uh, not really. I've never been, like, a big cup of noodle guy. Like, there are, like, some instant, like, uh, like Chinese food type dishes yeah. that I like. And, you know, like, sometimes I like to cook up, like, with some rice. Like, I'll, I'll make, um, like, I'll make rice and vegetables and, like, Brussels sprouts and stuff like that. Like, it with some tofu or whatever it may be, like, into a dish. Like, if I actually have time to cook or, like, yeah. I'll yeah. make myself veggie burgers and stuff like that. But, like, I, I used to cook a lot more than I do now. Now yeah. I don't have as much time yeah, so to do that. You're writing five posts a day when wow. you have time to yeah. cook, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, um, and running a newspaper. And yeah. Well, I, I can't say running a managing editor of a yeah. newspaper. I don't want to like completely like make it sound like I'm, <laughs> I've taken over uh, from You're the shadows from my editor. We decided. Yeah. We decided yeah. you well, own you are Fullerton. You a, a titan of news. You know? Yeah. No, there you go. This was probably one of the most unique fast food flavors yeah, that we that ever was, had. But we, we really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I think my, I think my uh, just uh, to end on the restaurant thing, like my favorite one right now is actually Cafe Rio, which is uh, like right uh, just over in yeah, the plaza over there. Yeah, I saw it and I saw it when we were walking over. Yeah, it's... So yeah, it's uh, I'm starting to worry that I'm going there a little bit too much because <laughs> they know my order when I walk in. That's the best feeling. No, so the usual. So yeah, no, that like it's it's very convenient. Don't get me wrong, but then I'm like maybe I'm eating here a little bit too much. Maybe this is not uh, maybe this is not a good thing. I have a fried chicken spot on my street, and uh, I go there too much, like you say. Yeah. But it's cool. It's it's a good feeling when you walk in and it's busy. And then there's like there's like six people waiting for their food, like two people in line. And I walk in, and the ladies behind the window they go, 
they like signal three piece meal and yeah. I'm like yep and they know what to do and they start like like I almost cut the other people because they start making it like before I even oh see for that's it. pretty good see at Cafe yeah. Rio I've never, I'm not on that level where like when I walk in like they'll just like they'll start making it even if there are people in front of me <laughs> yeah, they yeah, just yeah. know when I walk up they're like alright you want a veggie burrito you want mild sauce like all this like yeah, they yeah, just yeah. run down my lane I'm like yeah that's, that's yeah, I mean, I've been going there for like now. 10 years now so, okay, so you got so time I, I, so I, in, in maybe you know like I feel like I've been working at this paper for 10 years even though yeah. it's only been a year and a half so maybe like by the end of this this semester they'll start doing that for me and i have a quick question to end on like the the area food here you know we were, we were walking around and i saw nutwood cafe what how's their food uh you know i actually i can't claim to have eaten there that's actually that's the name of a street here yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for people not familiar with fullerton but yes i get that uh there is almost an uncomfortable inference from uh, <laughs> yeah. that place but actually like <laughs> Some very good salads down there. Okay. I, w- I would okay. recommend it. Uh, it's 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 definitely not bad. It, it's completely average food. And All right. like shout, out, shout out to Nutwood. Though. Yeah, there you, go. there you go. The end of our show. Super interesting takes and shout outs. Okay. Um, if you got a hot take, feel free to drop it. But also, I feel like I've dropped a few. Yeah, you have. You think you've taken care of your takes in the you last you got, ten if minutes? One, I or think, just the shout out plug whatever you like. I think the hottest take that I have right now uh, that I was kind of surprised that like I got so much pushback on. So I guess it's a hot take. But was that like Joel Embiid? I, I legitimately feel like if he ever like was if he was able to stay healthy the entire rest of his career mm-hmm. could legitimately be the best player of all time. I, now I don't think that that's going to happen, but I think it's going. It's going to be his career is going to be a very sad what if. I have very little confidence that he's going to stay healthy for his entire career. But good lord, is he incredible! Like yeah, just crazy. at his size, like to be able to have his speed, his aptitude defensively, despite picking up basketball at like nineteen, like and be able to shoot threes and just like move around the floor like he does on both ends, like. He's one of the most incredible players yeah. I've ever watched. And right. I think going along with that is that we talked about how good he is on social media and the fact that yeah. he, I think to be one of the greatest players of all time, I mean, you talk about Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, um, you have to have a personality. You have to be memorable. Yeah. Like for other re- for reasons other than basketball, you can't be boring. And like Michael Jordan wasn't boring. Like there were all the stories of like, you know, his gambling, his exactly. competitiveness, punching teammates in the face mm-hmm. in practice. And Kobe emulated that to the best of his ability. Just like his like utter like contempt for anyone that didn't work as hard as him, which is everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then like LeBron just being like, uh, like basically a 14 year old girl on social media sometimes. But like still, it's, great. it's interesting. Yeah. And like people talk about it. And so like, like, yeah, I mean, you have to be interesting to get, like, enough to get people to realize that you're the best player of all time, almost. Like, if you're just, like, if you're really good but quiet, like, people aren't as interested. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that take on Embiid, actually. Just watching the highlights of that Wednesday game, I just had to, I had to rewind. I was watching it on YouTube, just had to rewind. Like, how is this guy this big he's a, doing he's this? A t- like, you know? if you tried to create and, him in 2K, the physics of the game would not and work it's a really, out. And it's a really hot take because people are saying, oh, it's just, it's just one guy. He's, he hasn't even played a full season yet or whatever, but... It's true, like, the things he was doing out there, you don't, you've don't, you never seen that before. Yeah, I'm not, exactly. I'm not saying he's going to be the best player of all time, oh, yeah, but, but apparently it's a hot has, take to say he could he be if he was ever healthy. No, that, he yeah. does have that yeah, People exactly. get so upset about the best player of all time basketball conversation, like, more so than any other sport. It's People just, just get upset so about basketball about on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about anything on the internet. Probably. Yeah. But, yeah, basketball especially. Um, um, but, yeah, thank you for that uh, hot take. Uh, do you have any other shout-outs or anything you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to promote? 
So I'll say that if you are interested in Cal State Fullerton's basketball team at all, I've been covering them quite a bit this season, and I've enjoyed that and enjoyed kind of being on that beat. So check out the Daily Titan. And just, you know, like any of our coverage in general, that's a, that'll be my mandatory plug since I work here and since yeah. we're recording the podcast from here. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then as far as Lakers Nation and Lakers, like listen to Locked On Lakers. That's our that's mm-hmm. myself and Anthony Irwin. That's our daily podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at HMFagan. I guess the piece that I put out uh, it came out this morning, but I wrote it last night from the Lakers season of giving event. I enjoyed getting a chance to write because I got to talk to Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram and like a couple kids at the event about like what it meant to ha- for them to give back to the community and then what it meant to the kids to like get to interact with the Laker. And I just thought uh, Kuzma was very genuine and open about like how he wanted to be able to, like now you have to keep in mind this is one of his first charity events like he hasn't mm-hmm. been an NBA player long yeah. and uh, so like guys are obviously going to be more into their first one than they're going well like we'll see how his career goes but he seemed to genuinely enjoy getting a chance to uh, like interact with kids and he spoke about like how he could relate to these kids he was a minority from a poor area yeah. and he didn't have NBA players coming to Flint Michigan to come and interact with him and do dinners like that and he seemed to really uh, relish getting the chance to put like a smile on those kids faces and I I enjoyed getting a chance to talk to one, a couple of the kids and uh, talk to them and yeah. just, like, write a piece just about that whole night. I thought it was kind of a very fun, like, non-basketball thing and something, like, meaningful away from the game, which is uh, some stuff that I like covering sometimes. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Harrison, we really appreciate you coming on Cautiously Optimistic. Everybody out there, go read Harrison Fagan on Lakers Nation. Listen to his podcast, Locked on Lakers. Uh, this has been episode 40. Mm-hmm. We reached a big milestone, episode 40. So, Harrison, thank you again. It's been a lot of fun. No, thank you guys for having me, and thank you for driving down here. You made my day a lot easier, Absolutely. and it was fun. Yeah. this was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. We love this one, and we'll see you guys soon. I had a stunt on my haters. I had to show them who's boss. I had to flex on my haters. Diamonds, they dripping in sauce.